0: Hi, my name is Steve Carr, your host on Talking IoT, and in today's episode called Securing the Future, we'll be discussing the importance of IoT security, how it's evolving, and why it needs to be taken seriously. I'm very pleased to have with us today, Alan Grau. Alan is the founder of Bad Wolf Consulting, which helps early-stage tech company founders. Alan, maybe you can give us some insight into yourself and the journey into establishing Bad Wolf.
1: Yes, yeah, Steve. First, uh, you know, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's great to be here today. And fairly early in my career, started a a company. Initially we were doing some software development work, custom software development work in the telecom space, but that morphed into an IOT security company called Icon Labs. And, you know, we saw, you know, from the consulting projects that we were doing, that there was an opportunity and a need in the marketplace for, you know, better software tools for people trying to build security into embedded devices and IOT devices. We shifted in that direction and went through a lot of the challenges that early stage companies have of really trying to find the right product for the market, the right customers to target for the technology we had, and just all the challenges to go with building an early stage business. We were, we were successful at that and eventually were able to sell that company. I spent a couple of years working for a certificate authority company, the company that acquired Icon Labs, and then, you know, from there, Jumped back into the startup world, spent a couple of years running the business development sales for a company called Peakier Shield in the post quantum crypto space out of the UK, and helped them get established, build their commercial presence, and build a sales team. I was a, the first employee in the US, so helped them get established in the US as well. Just taking that experience that I've had with a couple of early stage companies, and helping other companies who've. You are know, early in the process or we need help with some aspects of that process and, you know, able to deliver my expertise and, and my experience in helping them. One area in particular is being able to help companies that are in
0: Europe or, or even in Asia, that are looking to get established in the U.S. So we'll come on and talk about that. Uh, it's one of the questions I've got for you later through the podcast. So what, what type of companies are you currently working with and what kind of partnerships do, do you look for with those companies? Yeah, so for the most part, it's early stage companies and, and by early
1: stage, you know, companies that have some funding, have a seed round or a series A funding round, but are still, you know, building out their commercial practice at a high level. And it's B2B tech companies that I'm working with. Now, a lot of that does end up being around either IoT or security, cybersecurity, because of the, you know, those are markets that I've, I've spent a lot of time working in. But really, any early stage tech company that's trying to get traction, maybe they don't have a sales team yet or a marketing team, or even companies that are needing help on on the strategy side.
0: So, moving on to today's subject, securing the future of IoT. A few questions. So, what in your mind is really driving the adoption of security within the IoT space?
1: It's heavily driven by regulations and industry standards. Some companies have been very proactive about building security just because they recognize the importance of it. But it seems like far too often. Security is treated as a, a nice-to-have or an afterthought. And companies are very busy. They've got a lot of capability they need to build into their solutions. And they're really trying to differentiate, launch new products. And as a result, security isn't always given the priority it needs. And now that's starting to change. And again, it's starting to change largely because there are regulations driving security. The automotive industry is a great example. I think it was 2014 it was the, the miller vilsack hack of a Chrysler Jeep or they were able to remotely hack a Jeep and, and control it. And they could have taken over, you know, any number of vehicles, but obviously they were white hat hackers and were trying to show a problem and, and develop a solution for it, but that really was an eye opener for the auto industry. And since then, you know, there has been broad adoption of regulation. So there's UN regulation, R155 and R156, that essentially stipulate that if you're going to sell a car into Europe, you have to meet some fairly um, strong cybersecurity guidelines. That's really driving automotive companies to invest in cybersecurity in a way that they, they really weren't as comprehensively and as consistently otherwise. We we're also seeing that in the medical device market. There's regulation in Europe for higher levels of security for medical devices. In the U.S., the FDA has announced that beginning on October 1st. They will not accept any submissions for new products if they haven't followed and include documentation on their cybersecurity practices that meet certain guidelines. And we're seeing that in other industries as well. So a lot of it really comes down to
0: having regulations that create a forcing function for companies to invest in cybersecurity. So you talk about the regulations that are coming in, but what about the ROI? Historically, adding security onto a device is going to add costs. So will companies be looking at what return they can get from doing that? Or you seeing companies now focus much more around brand equity? They don't want to be hacked. But do you see the return really coming through the brand equity and really making sure that they're positioned as the quality brand that is secure?
1: It's both. Just as an antidote, 10 years ago, I was talking to a VP at a large OEM selling into the um, oil and gas industry, and we were talking about security. and. And his question to me is, you know, what's my ROI? If I invest in cybersecurity for my device, what's my return on investment? It's not something that you can always easily quantify, but that was a fairly common attitude 10 years ago. And, and that definitely has changed. Obviously, regulations are driving adoption, but companies have become more aware of the need of security and the need to invest in it. So there's an evolution in people's thinking and a recognition that it's becoming more of a basic requirement. In the The tech side, there've also been, you know, some pretty significant advances. You know, we have much better platforms now, even on low end MCU devices where the hardware security features are available on low cost devices that enable companies to build in better security with a hardware foundation for that security.
0: I've seen that with Nordic Semiconductor who are very focused on chip level security. You you mentioned uh, a few of the industries there in automotive, uh, medical, and oil and gas. What other sectors are you seeing taking this seriously? And is the consumer space still falling behind?
1: In terms of markets, you know, other markets, certainly defense and aerospace, you know, is a market that takes security very seriously. You asked about consumer. Consumer, I think, still is behind, but that is starting to change. So there's a new standard from the connectivity standards Alliance, the CSA, the, which used to be the Zigbee Alliance, I believe, they have a standard they're working on for security for smart home devices. It originally called Matter, I think they've actually renamed what the standard is. But that working group for that standard, it's created by some of the industry giants. You know, people like Amazon, Google, Apple are participating and, and came together recognizing that They're all building devices for the smart home and they have to be able to to work together So they needed some standards to enable that. And, and they also recognize that security was an important part of that. And out of that has come a cybersecurity labeling program that was announced in the U S recently and other countries have similar programs. And so what this will allow is companies to receive certification through a certification lab that their devices or products meet reasonable security standard. It's similar to a UL label for safety on devices, but that will be available on consumer devices. So that actually puts you know, some control and some power in the hands of the individual consumer to make a decision on what they purchased. If you have a choice of, of purchasing two electronic devices for your home and one has the UL label and one didn't, you'd, you'd choose the one with the UL label. And, and in fact, that became a mandate so everybody has that level of safety and security is moving that way. So we'll have security labels and eventually more of those will become mandated. So it becomes just standard practice.
0: That's a great and insightful answer, but what do you see as the key security challenges specific to the industrial IoT market?
1: Well, certainly one of the big challenges is just that it, it isn't easy to build security into an IoT device. There are many, many different platforms, different hardware platforms, different operating systems, and different middleware that's being used. Building security solutions becomes a bit bespoke, right? So almost every device has to have its own unique security solution built in. So, you know, there are companies that are working towards automating that process. I think you had PG Networks on here recently. That's a company I'm actually working with a little bit, helping them out. But they have built a tool to help automate implementing things like secure boot and secure file systems and secure key storage. Because you know, if you look at how to integrate with the hardware, if you buy a, a new part, whether it's from Nordic Semiconductor or NXP or Infineon or Microchip, whoever it is, each one has a different interface to the security hardware, and usually it's a five hundred, eight hundred, thousand page user manual. So it's, it's complex and tedious to. To implement those things properly and having, you know, automated tools, that manage that process for you so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel for each new product that's being built, you know, as a manufacturer will help speed that process. So that's certainly one of the big challenges. Another big challenge, of course, is the need to start adopting post quantum crypto algorithms. Algorithms we're using today for asymmetric encryption, RSA and ECC, it will be broken by quantum computers. And you know most experts are saying that's you know somewhere around twenty thirty or so that quantum computers will be able to do that, and that's perhaps seven or ten years off. but the reality is the cars that we're building today, the devices that we're building today that go on the electric grid, they'll still be in operation ten years from now, so it's important to get started on migrating to those algorithms and the products we're building today because whose prices have such incredibly long lifespans that they'll still be in the field once post-quantum crypto or once quantum computers have evolved and and post-quantum crypto
0: is a a hard requirement. That must make the considerations when you're designing security very challenging for some of those companies, especially automotive or anywhere where you've got that longevity of product. Because as you mentioned, with quantum cryptography um, coming along, which will impact the security, how are they actually balancing that off? That's a real challenge. a lot of the security problems we have on the IoT today are
1: the result of, of that challenge, trade devices that were built 15 years ago when we didn't have the same s- cybersecurity concerns are now being exploited. So we have to be able to, to build products that can operate securely against threats that we don't even know about yet today, right? Threats will evolve in the next 10, 15, 20 years. And there's a number of ways that companies are addressing that. You know, the company's building the, you know, at the foundational level, right? The chip companies are starting to adopt post-quantum crypto, starting to build it into the hardware, you know, starting to make it available on the platforms. So that's certainly one piece of it. Having the ability to firmly update, to securely update software and firmware in the field yeah. is another really important feature. And that's gone from something that was a nice to have five years ago or 10 years ago, Again, to a fairly standard capability that, that devices will need to support, and part of the reason is for security. It does add flexibility in terms of providing updates in the field and uh, for maintenance reasons and feature upgrades, which are all beneficial.
0: Without so, it, you really can't make those security updates that are going to be needed. Sure. So, so what strategies can startups um, employ? Because we've talked about uh, that the, the bigger sectors with automotive, defense, oil, gas, etc., but you're working with startups, so startups are coming into the space. They want to deploy IoT products. They've got resource limitations. What would be your advice to a startup?
1: A large part of it starts with doing a security analysis and threat analysis. So often they're called a room threat analysis and risk assessment. Just to understand you know, what attacks are possible against your device, what are the risks, And from that, you can determine what cybersecurity features are needed. So really starting early in the design process and looking at that is important because the security requirements aren't going to be the same for every device. If you're building a new tracking device to allow owners to determine the location of their pets if they wander off or their car keys, there's certainly some personal information and some cybersecurity concerns that you're going to have. But that's not the same as if you're building a control device that's going to be deployed into a nuclear plant, you know, a connected car or a, a surgical robot, right? Where they're doing operations that could impact health and safety. So understanding the, the threat vectors, the interfaces, and the risk of being attacked is a great place to start. And then, as we talked about before, selecting modern hardware that has security capability built into it is an option that's available. If you're a startup, you don't have the technical data or those legacy products that you need to support the platforms that were really you know, selected, say 10 years ago, that don't have the hardware security capability. So you can start with a modern hardware platform that has the baseline security capabilities that enable applications to be built on them in a secure fashion.
0: Recircling back, you talked about governments or regulatory bodies um, t- taking some more control from a globalization perspective. Are the regulations going to be the same across all of the major regions? So you've got Asia, Africa, uh, Europe, North North America, or or is there going to be some conflict where the regulations are are slightly different or the regions are actually asking for different things? There's a
1: lot of consistency, but it's not a hundred percent. The connectivity standards Alliance is actually working on creating a standard that will encompass the different regional standards so that if you follow their certification process that you would meet the requirements in the U S in the EU and in other regions. A lot of that's achievable because if you look at cybersecurity, the basic requirements are the same across different vertical markets and across different applications and systems, right? You still need secure boot and you need to be able to update the firmware securely. You need to be able to authenticate the device when you you communicate with it. You need to be able to ensure that data is encrypted both when you're transmitting data as well as when the data is stored on the device. Those are base, baseline requirements are consistent across device types and industries. So that helps. And there, there are some baseline documents. You know, NIST has documents on specifications on security for IoT devices. And a lot of the different standards will refer back to some of those baseline documents. So you might have a different standard in medical and in automotive but the kind of the underpinnings of it are maybe from the same origin. So
0: yeah, there are some challenges there, but they're not completely different. When we were talking about quantum cryptography and how that could impact IoT security, how how do you see the role of AI-driven anomaly detection within that space? Do you you see those two things growing together? And do you think more and more AI-driven anomaly detection will actually be used?
1: So yeah, so different
0: technologies, different use
1: cases for each of them, but both of those are important. You know, we talked about how do you protect against, you know, threats that are going to emerge 5, 10, 15 years from now. Well, the AI driven anomaly detection is one way that you can do that, right? If you look at how devices are, are attacked and how you need to protect them, you know, anytime a de- device is under attack, there will be changes to the behavior of the device. You know, it's simply a fuzzing attack or a, you know, packet flood denial of service, well, that's going to change how the device is operating underneath right the behavior of how the software is running will change and so anomaly detection allows a device to recognize that something has changed and you can then report it and provide some investigation so if a a new attack is developed a year from now or five years from now the anomaly detection systems will allow a level of protection against that and so i i expect those technologies to start to become more widely over time. I know there has been some auto manufacturers who have added some intrusion detection capabilities to their systems. The FDA guidance talks about being able to detect against unknown attacks and being able to to have aftermarket protection. So basically being able to essentially detect threats that we don't yet know about. And, And this is one great
0: avenue or one great technology to help with that. Just a couple more questions before we wrap up. So what challenges do you see for European and Asian-based startups when they're trying to establish a market presence in the U.S.? I mean, clearly you're based in the U.S. You've got a global knowledge base. How are you helping those companies from outside of the U.S. establish that footprint?
1: There's a couple of things. First, just having contacts, knowing some sort of the major players in the U.S. is really important and talk often a limitation or a challenge for companies that aren't in the U.S., I think just being in a time zone is important. Being able to attend conferences, set up meetings in a way that's, you know, much more efficient and effective adds a lot of value. And, you know, there, there are other things like, you know, sometimes there are certifications or regulations that need to be navigated and having someone local help with that. All of those are, are challenges for international companies that, that I can assist with.
0: So just before we wrap up, a bit of a fun question for the audience out there. So if you could travel to any era for a week, where would you go and why Well, great question. I think you know, as a technologist if, if I could travel forward,
1: it'd be really interesting to to travel forward ten or twenty or, or thirty years and and see how or even you know even fifty or hundred years and see how technologies we're developing today play out, that would certainly be a fascinating thing and if I had to travel backwards I've, you know, I've always found the You've the Egyptian era and the, the pyramids to be a, another really interesting time period. So if I had to travel backwards, I would probably uh, probably pick that.
0: Awesome, So Alan, look, I really appreciate you coming on the the podcast and your insights into um, securing the future within IoT. And just before we leave, how can the audience reach out to you?
1: Yeah, so you can find me, my website's just badwolfconsulting.com. It's all one word. Or just find me on LinkedIn
0: under Alan Grau. Yeah. I very much appreciate your time today.
1: All right. Thanks, Steve.